Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, everyone. How good is it to pray for each other? I love that. I want to encourage you as well, if you haven't done so, it, may, it doesn't have to be related to what we're just praying for, but if it's something that you would like prayer for, you can just go to that QR code that's on your seats and you can send in a prayer request and it can be anonymous as well. You don't need to put your name there because every Monday and throughout the week, the prayer team is praying for you. I, myself, and, and all of us that are pastors and the leadership team, we're praying for you and I love it on Monday just to see like, what, okay, what are we going to pray for? What can we even believe for? And we've also been getting testimonies come in. I know uh, Piru, who is on the, the uh, multimedia today. His two daughters are back from India. Praise God. And they got a, a placement in school. So we just give God glory for that. And we just thank him for that, that testimony of that prayer answered. Uh, and we love to hear that. So if you've got any um, praise reports, maybe something that God has answered that you've been asking for prayer from, maybe in your connect group or through this channel, we'd love to hear that as well. So I encourage you to do that. And, you know, this week, I had a lot of people praying for me because I had some job interviews. And my, my wife that loves me so dearly, she just she really wants to support me. So she sent out to everyone, you've got to be praying for Justin. Like every channel that I'm in, in WhatsApp, in like family, distant family, <laughs> church. And it was a bit overwhelming. And so afterwards, I was like, oh, God, you're making a bit of a fuss about it. It's like, I, I, I just felt embarrassed. Like, it's like all this focus on me. And I got so, I got inundated and flooded with like, how did it go? And I'm praying for you. And it was just like overwhelming. But then I just thought, wow, isn't it just amazing just to be a part of a community where you're just so loved? And, and that is what we want to do for each other, right? I, I would love to be able to pray for whatever you're going through in your life as well. So I just want to encourage you, like, you know, share. And, you know, my wife absolutely did the right thing in sharing and asking people to pray for me, even if I, I was a little bit embarrassed by it at first. Uh, so I just want to encourage you, don't be embarrassed. You know, share. You can be anonymous. Let people get involved in your life. We can pray for each other, right? Because God answers prayers. Amen. Okay, so we're starting a new series, as you heard. It's uh, how to practice mission in our secular age, the missional life, right? So the, the goal of this series, 10 Sundays we're dedicating to this. So you know that we're serious when it's 10 Sundays in a row, right? Our goal is that we would be equipped and empowered, that we would have a confidence and a competence to share the love of Jesus to our world. Does that sound good, right? Anyone need that? Yeah, I think I could do a bit of that, right? So our key scripture for this series, you can bookmark it. And also, by the way, if you're on the YouVersion Bible app, if you haven't already done so, you can add us as your church, and you'll get notifications about uh, events. For example, there is an event that you can find under the events section today. You get all the Bible references. You can change it to your language, your version, whatever. Get all the notes there. It's a really good tool to follow along with the messages. Okay, marketing aside, let's continue. All right, Romans 10, 13, 15. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. Okay, so if I was to canvas this room this morning, I'm sure there'd be a wide spectrum of opinions and experiences when it comes to mission. 
I'm sure there's some of you in this room that you're really passionate about evangelism. Maybe you do street evangelism. Maybe you love to go on mission trips. But then I'm sure there's some of us that you're maybe just even shy to share with other believers about your faith. Like you haven't really got there where you're comfortable talking about what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're new to faith. Maybe that's the reason why. Or maybe you've been a Christian for like 30 odd years. Wherever you're at this morning, I think something that we can all kind of resonate with is, is the fact that we all have a little bit of angst in fulfilling this great commission, this amazing commission to go to the, the corners of the earth and, and to make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's, it's a grand commission, and it can sound a bit daunting, right? And maybe that angst, that kind of, kind of um, dread could be the fact that you just feel like, oh, there's just so much to do. I can do more. Like, even though I'm doing something, there's more to do. And that can cause a little bit of anxiety in you. Or maybe you just feel like, I should do something. Like, I haven't even started. <laughs> like, I don't even know where to start. Wherever you are, this series, I believe, is going to be empowering and equipping for you. See, cause there's, there's always a gap between the faith that we have and the faith that we want to have. And, and the, the anxiety is in what can we do about that? So the faith you have... And, and the gap that there is between that and the radical and empowered faith that we may be seen in others or maybe had at one time in our life, the, the, the faith that we, we long for, that gap is what we like to call your missional angst. Now, that angst, it can be personal. It could be social. It could be cultural forces that keep us from following Jesus the way we desire deep within our heart. Now, this series, or as Matthew said, it is actually a course, is a biblical framework to address that gap and live an empowered kingdom life. So that's what we're going to be doing over these next two, 10 weeks. See, because I, I think we all have stories, uh, we've heard stories of great men and women of God. Maybe it was in history, Maybe it's in other parts of the world. I know we have people from Nigeria and people from Colombia, and I'm sure you know, you've heard and you've seen amazing things in, in maybe where you come from, whatever corner of the world that is. Or, or maybe it's, it's even people you know. Maybe there's people in your circle and you think, oh, man, they're, they're doing such much better job of fulfilling the commission than I am. I mean, I, I have like a super evangelist mother. So that's a hard act to follow. My mom... She, she was saved out of addiction, both her and her sister, saved out of addiction. They are teetotal, they're living for Christ, they're running like Alcoholics Anonymous programs, they're helping people come out of addiction. My mom's just like creating ministries all the time. She's like, the elevator ministry, I'm going to preach to people when I'm in the elevator. The, the hotel receptionist ministry, every time I stay at a hotel, I'm going to preach to the receptionist. And she goes, I've got another one, hear this story. I was in Nottingham, and I was teaching this woman. She told me her whole life story, and then, and then she gave her heart to the Lord. And now she's signed up to a, 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 an, an Alcoholics Anonymous because she's been struggling with addiction. Like, this just comes out of my mum every time I see her, and I'm just like, wow, okay, whoa. My mum is so far away from my reality right now. I'm like, that's a tough act to follow. But, you know, my mum encourages me, yeah, you've got to run your race. It's your journey. Like, <laughs> see, so we all have, like, kind of maybe pictures or, or people that are inspiration that uh, we, we just think, maybe if I could just be a little bit more like that. How, how, but we, so, we feel so far away from that, right? And so 
we see in them an inspiration because we see that the beauty of those who bring the good news. When we hear those stories, it's so inspiring. We just think it's such a beautiful, such a great thing, right? And we want the same for us, even in just a little smaller portion, maybe. <laughs> but that was then, of course. We're looking back in history. We think sometimes like we're just like, yeah, but that was then, and and, and that was them. And, and that was there in that country. It's not here, right? It's not now. It's not me. And it's definitely not here in Sweden, right? So we have all these reasons why not. And this angst, this deep anxiety or dread towards mission, I think we all battle with it. Do you, maybe you don't recognize it. Maybe you're like, what are you talking about? I don't struggle with angst. I don't even know what that word is, actually. Well, let me ask you this question. If the Lord said to you, okay, Next time you have a one-on-one with your boss or your teacher, I want you to share the gospel with them. How would you react? Now, some of you might be like, yeah, you know, uh, I've been praying for that. Amen. I know exactly what to say. Yes, let's go. But I reckon the majority of us, we would have a little bit of trepidation, right? We would be like, oh, I don't know. How, how are they going to react? You know, like, what should I say? Like, is that acceptable behavior in the office or school? Like, there would be some questions, right? There would be a little bit of hesitation there. And, and that's the angst. There's these two forces. It's like, I want to, and that would be awesome. But at the same time, I'm not so sure, right? I'm a little bit insecure about this. This public faith, this expression of our faith publicly is challenged by two competing internal realities in us. Now, we're, we're on a mission to become mature, missional disciples. That's the goal of our mission and vision statement, as you heard a minute ago. But in, in order to become that mature, missional disciple, we have to address these two tensions that are in all of us. It's the desire to see the things we see, read, and encounter, to stir our hearts, to see God move in our world in a way that we long to see and that we know that he can for those we love and care for. But there's, an, there's another force, right? There's something else that we wrestle with. It's that angst. It's that unfocused, chaotic, anxi- deep anxiety about the human condition or the state of the world in general that we live in. And this, is, of course, is fed by the news. It's fed by social media, by interactions that we might have that make us kind of like, you know, shrivel up and be like, oh, I don't know, people don't want to hear this. This isn't a good place for the gospel, like, like, you know, people are against me. And so there's this cultural and this personal angst. Let's talk a little bit about the cultural angst in the world that we live in. Well, it's this culture of suspicion, right? They, they reject any, like, this kind of meta-narrative, like, this idea of, like, you know, there's, like, this big picture that we're all a part of, and, and, and the idea of God, the idea of absolute truths is, is treated very suspiciously today, like, it's even rejected, and then we also live in like a disenchanted culture where God has been like exercised out of public spheres, right? Like it's not in schools anymore. We're like, we don't, like I'm constantly told like, you know, religion has no place here. Religion has no place there. You can't share your faith there. It, it, we live in a culture where it has been exercised out of public spheres. We live in an age of supposed authenticity where it's really all about everything revolves around the individual. It's all about project self as we like to talk about. And so what's happened? So faith has become privatized. It's gone from the center to the fringe. It's gone from being public to being private. It's gone from being considered a little bit strange to being considered a threat. 
It's gone from being tolerated to sometimes even being penalized in our culture. And of course, we live in the cultural melting pot that is Malma. And so there's a lot of different opinions on God, faith, life, morality, and ethics that I'm sure you are aware of. And even add to that, we've even lost confidence in the church sometimes, right? Because there's been so many scandals, there's been so many leadership failures, and that all added up is our cultural angst. Let's talk about personal angst. Well, let's start with fear. That's a big one, isn't it, right? So maybe you're just uncomfortable with just being personal with other people, inviting people into your world and sharing something so precious with others. Maybe you're you're fearful of being rejected, you're fearful of others' opinions. I know I'm, I'm as susceptible to that as anyone else. Or maybe it's just that you're busy, the busyness. John Tyson in his book, The Beautiful Resistance, comments, you know, I often wonder whether this is why the church lacks credibility in our world. Maybe it's not just our big scandals and cultural failures. Maybe it's something much smaller, more common, more deadly. Maybe it's our exhaustion. Maybe we're just too tired to model agape love, too scheduled to show compassion, too distracted to pray, too much like the exhausted culture around us. I thought that was very convicting when I read it, so I shared it with a few people. But I think that sums up just the the busyness that we're so susceptible today in our culture. And then add to that, maybe we just don't feel prepared. We feel underprepared because let's face it, the questions have got a lot harder, right? The questions that we have to fill today as Christians, you, you sometimes you feel like you have to have a doctorate in theology or philosophy in order to be able to answer them. But we're in church, so there is hope. Amen? There is hope, right? Here's the thing. Faith doesn't require a Christian context in order to thrive. Movements of God actually take place in spiritual decline. So often, if you look at all the great revivals, it happens in times of spiritual decline. So basically, we don't need our society to be godly in order for us to be godly. That's good to know. If you don't believe me, have a look at some people in the Bible like Ruth. Have a look at Daniel, the context that they were living in, the life that they led Decline doesn't dictate the possibility of revival. In fact, I think it encourages it. And newsflash, we're not here to save the world. Really? We're here to serve the world. Leslie Newbegin, that's a hard one to say, an Anglican theologian said this, uh, the Bible is covered with God's purpose of blessing for all the nations. It is concerned with the completion of God's purpose in the creation of the world. It is not, to put it crudely, concerned with offering a way of escape for the redeemed soul out of history, but with the action of God to bring history to its true end. In other words, the job of the Messiah has already been filled. Amen. Thank God. Jesus, look, I mean, just look at Jesus. He, he didn't heal everyone. I know sometimes we like to think that, but he actually didn't. He didn't heal everyone He made it possible, but when he walked the earth, he didn't heal everyone. He only did what the Father asked of him. The key is, and this is the main thing we need to understand, is that God uses the available, not the perfect. Just look at the lives of Peter, Mary Magdalene, David. You can go all the way through the Bible of imperfect people that just made themselves available to God. 
Now, I've shared this story before, but I, I think it's just such a good, it was such a good lesson for me. And I, so I'll share it again. And it's the story of when I was in Bible school and I was working in the worst job ever because I didn't have probably the right to work in Sweden at that time. So I was working <laughs> with a bunch of other immigrants, uh, stacking, putting adverts into newspapers and getting paid like tuppence for it. Right, and um, I got to know uh, a young Muslim guy who was an immigrant called Ali, a very common name, and um, we just started chatting. We started eating lunch together. He asked me what I'm doing. I'm here for Bible school. I started sharing about my faith. He started sharing about his faith. Oh, we have some similarities there, and and he was just really interested. And the thing is about this interaction is I didn't have any plan. I didn't have any preparation. God just brought an opportunity to me. All of a sudden, this guy was super interested in about, about church, in my faith, and we, we kept in contact, and I actually invited him to come to church, and he came to church, and of course, God met him in church, and, and the Holy Spirit moved upon him. He was crying. He accepted Christ into his life, and it was a beautiful moment. I was able to pray with him, like give him some resources, and I was just like, well, where did that come from? Like, I didn't plan that. And the key thing there was I just made myself available to somebody that was already in my world. After that, I finished Bible school and I went back to England. I was filled with a little bit of angst because I was thinking, what about Ali? What happened to him? I mean, he, he's, he comes from a Muslim background. Maybe he's not allowed to stay in Sweden. Like, is he going to make it? Like, I didn't finish the job. Like, you know, I just, I just planted a seed. Like, what, who's going to water it? Who, who's going to... Who's going to look after this guy? And, and I, I just I felt really bad about it, and I wondered about it. I was, I was worried about it. I was anxious about it. And then one day, I, I actually went back to where the city where I went to Bible school because I was getting involved in a ministry, and we were there for a week's training, just like a week. Like, what even? That was maybe a couple of days, right? I'm walking down the streets of Uppsala, and I noticed this guy go, hey, Justin. It was my friend Ali. And he comes up to me, and he's got a smile on his face, and he's telling me how good his life is. And so what actually happened is he got plugged into another church, and he met this, this, this family who basically let him stay with him and discipled him, and he was a part of the church, and he got his visa to stay in the country. And I was just blown away because, first off, I was so just happy for Ali that he, you know, he was able to stay, and he got planted, and that God was with him. But also just thinking, wow, God, you orchestrated that. You knew I was going to be on that street so that I got to see how things really work. And it reminded me that one man plants, another waters, but God grows. We don't have to do it all, right? We need to start taking the stress out of being a living a missional life and realize it's God that does the work, right? We're just called to plant seeds and water. Amen. Give God the glory. You know, I, I could give a lot of stories about how God is, is in, like, moved in people's life and made such an impact. Give, a, <laughs> give some praise there. Um, but, but I think that's just such an amazing example where God just shows that this is how it works in the kingdom of God. We work together. We make ourselves available. We don't need to have a plan. We don't need to be prepared. God will use us when we make ourselves available. So desire and angst, they, they can be paralyzing to us. But desire and grace, they're empowering. Desire and angst paralyzes, but God's desire and his grace, they make us the kind of people he can actually use. 
This series is about God equipping and empowering you. And I pray that he would fill us with his love and his skill to make a difference in our world. That we could say that we have the beautiful feet of those who bring the good news. And we're going to start this series, week one of 10, with God. Because it's his story. Alistair McIntyre said this, I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story of stories do I find myself a part? We are part of a greater story. We, we have a role to play, but we are, we are not the, the authors and perfectors. No, that, that is somebody else that we, we, we know very well. We just have a part to play. So we have to understand that story. Mission starts with God. So we're going to understand his character. We did that course, a uh, uh, series on the character of God. We got to understand who is God? What kind of God do we serve? We got to understand his heart, his radical love to know what he is doing in the world. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen. Mission starts with God and his radical love. It cannot start from selfish ambition, even if it is to build a great church. It cannot start from guilt, even if it is to build his kingdom. It can't start from pride. It can't start from fear. Only his love that has been experienced. That's why it's so important just to come and worship and adore him, because it's from there that we can live our lives out the way that Christ has called us to live. In my experience, the greatest evangelists are the ones that often the big, have been the biggest sinners in life. And I believe that's because the greater revelation we have of the amazing grace, the greater hunger that we often have to share it. That's critical. I think sometimes we just need to understand the heights, the depths of God's love if we're lacking that desire in our life. You know, a Christmas carol it's probably one of the finest illustrations of God's grace in uh, fictional literature. You know the story well, so I'm not going to rehash it. But Scrooge, the guy that had it all, yet it was never enough. He was hauntingly aware of his hopelessness to pay for his own sins. Yet, amazingly, he was shown grace. And because of that, he was now embarrassed by his riches. It's too much. I'm not worthy. I must share. I cannot hold these blessings to myself. There was a switch in him. See, when we know how loved we are, we are compelled to love others. Because the lengths that Jesus went to for his love is just too much for us to bear. Jesus, this is too much I have to give something back. This is too much. I can't keep this for myself. And he'd probably reply, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you do for me. You see, love flows from God's own character and reveals itself in how God pursues, forgives, rescues, and reconciles. God is love. It's why he sent his son to seek the lost, to heal the sick. Mission flows out from the love of God. I got a bunch of scriptures that you can find in the Bible app, but I'll just read one. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All of these examples that you can read, 
the words of Jesus, they're not gen- it's not generic kindness. It's radical. It's countercultural. It's passionate love that seeks and saves the lost. It shows that mission is not about duty, effort, or achievement. Mission is about love, and it flows out of the love of God. Mission exists as an outworking of his love for this world. Mission exists quite simply because love demands it. It cannot be a bystander. When we know how God acts, we learn how we, therefore, should act in this world. So let's look at God's actions. What does it mean that God's mission flows out of his love? How God's love expresses itself in his actions? Well, love compels God to pursue, to forgive, to rescue, and reconcile. We can learn about a lot about how we are supposed to, to live out our mission life by looking at those key attributes. God pursues people. You can read in Luke 15, 4. Suppose one of you had a 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? The priority of heaven, as we see here, is not on this sustainable stewardship of the flock. It is in radical pursuit of the one that is lost. I mean, think how crazy that is. He risked the 99, leaving them behind to find the one. That's how radical his love is. That's, that's the, 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 the lengths that he would go to. God's pursuit is radical. He pursues the one at great cost. And God forgives. God's love is a radical forgiveness. I feel like an 80s skateboarder. Radical. Rad. Yeah. <laughs> but it is. It's a good word. Radical forgiveness. Extended to the most unforgivable. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, God doesn't play favorites. He longs for everyone, everyone to come to repentance. God's heart is seen really well. And you think about it like Jesus knew the Father. He wanted us to know who the Father was. He was like, like everything you guys think of the Father, you, you haven't got it right. Let me explain who this guy is. Let me explain how much this guy loves you. And he used three different parables. One of them was the, the, the lost sheep. There's also the lost coin. And there's also the story of the prodigal son, a son that had rejected his father that had brought shame on the family, that had done nothing to deserve forgiveness. And yet, despite this, when he, in his desperation, turned back to the father, he had nowhere else to turn. He's like, I might as well try. Like, he's probably going to reject me because I deserve rejection, but I might as well try. So he's expecting to meet an angry or even a cold and disappointed father. And I think that many of us would probably have reacted like that if our children treated us the way that the prodigal son did. But the amazing thing is, I was just reading this passage, and something really stuck out to me that I've probably just kind of skimmed over before. It's in Luke 15, 20, and it talks about, so so the prodigal son, he says, and he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, And he felt compassion. And here it is. And ran. And embraced him. And kissed him. Think about that. 
that your Father in heaven, this is a picture of the Father in heaven, when you just motion towards him, he doesn't wait and go, okay, yeah, what have you got to say for yourself? Explain. Ask for forgiveness. No, he doesn't. When you just motion, when you just turn and go, Lord, (laughs) I've tried everything else. Can you? He runs to you. When we just motion towards him, he runs to us. It says he ran. Think about that. The man of the house running out to his son that many would be ashamed of. And not just that, embracing him and kissing him when he probably smelled awful. That is the love of the father. Jesus is like, I want you to know the kind of father you have. This is the kind of father you have. No matter what you do, no matter how much shame you bring on your family, if you just turn to him, he will run to you and he will embrace you and he will kiss you. That's how much he loves you. That's radical. God reconciles. We live in a fractured, polarized, divided world and it can feel irreconcilable sometimes. Sometimes that's even in our families, right? But God brings blessing and holistic peace to a broken world through Christ. That's one of the things that God has called us to as a missionary It's not just leading people in a prayer. It's also being a peacemaker. God creates common context and ground where enemies can become family. God loves family. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 19 says this. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. All we see the Father do is what we are called to do. We are called to pursue the lost, to forgive the unforgivable, to rescue those that are living in hell today in our world, and to reconcile those that have been fractured in relationship. When we think of God and his character As we reflect on that, that is the blueprint of how we are called to live our lives. The Pentecost theologian says it this way, what comes into our minds when we think of God is the most important thing about us. I want to invite the band up now as we come to a close. What we think of God is so important. If we really understood the amazing grace that we have been the receiver of, it's that love, when understood, that compels us to seek the lost, to live a mission or life. So there is an invitation for each and every one of us. See, if mission is built on anything else but the love of God, if it's fear, if it's selfish ambition, if it's ego, if it's the idea of unlimited expansion, greed, envy, it is not the mission of God. Mission exists because love demands it. So church, what we have to do as we start this series is we have to invite the Lord to come and flood our hearts with his love. Ask him for a deeper revelation of how much he loves you. You know, I think sometimes, especially those that have been in the church so long, we, we, can, we can become a little bit numb to the reality of what Christ has actually saved us from. 
You know, we haven't lived maybe this crazy life where we can look back and go, well, I used to be that and now I'm this and, 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 and have that thankfulness. But instead, what we need to think about is all the things that God has saved us from. Because the reality is each and every one of us in this room, we have been saved from something, for something, to a beautiful future. Has your desire, though, has your desire to live a missional life, has it faded? I know I've been guilty of that at times. My zeal to, to speak to the, the, the lost, to, to tell them the good news. Sometimes that can fade. You can lose the joy in your faith that you once had. The joy from that first hour when you first believed. The, the joy that comes from your first love. But we need to be like Scrooge when, when he received that reprieve, when, when he was shown grace, when he was given a second chance in his life. He awoke and he, and he used these words. He said, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A merry Christmas. And he goes on. Just that giddiness, that joy that he's just like, I'm so blessed. I can't keep this to myself. I've got to share it. I, I, I've got... I've got to extend the love and the grace that was shown to me. If we're being honest here this morning, has have, 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 that kind of faded, that kind of fire, that passion, faded a little bit in us where we feel like we just have so much and we have to share it? If that is the case, if maybe you don't feel like you, don't, you have that, that, that love in you that, that compels you, to live a life for others. Maybe you don't have that joy that, that should be your strength. You don't, you don't see that joy set before you that helps you to endure. Then we just need to simply pray as David did. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. We need God to do that over and over again, to remind us. That's why we, one of the reasons why we worship him is, is not because God needs our worship, even though he is worthy of our worship, is we need to be reminded of how great our God is. Let's just rise now as we go back into worship. I'd love to pray for all of us now. You know, my heart is that we, we, we would get back to that place of joy when we first received Christ into our lives. I remember that time when I first invited Christ into my life and, and just the excitement and just the overwhelming peace and joy. And it was overflowing. And that's the thing about mission. It has to come from the overflow. So we need God to fill us. We need him to remind us. And I'm sure there's some people here today that you've never actually invited Christ into your life. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. And you know what? I think for all of us, we need to pray that prayer of invitation to God over and over again. So what I would like us to do is, whether you are new to faith or have you been a Christian for 30 odd years, I want us to pray and recommit our lives as we start this 10-week series to Him again. Renew our vows with Him this morning. Is that all right? If you just follow my lead now, we say, Father in heaven, we surrender our lives to you. 
Lord, we don't want to pursue our own selfish ambitions. We want to live for you. We've tried everything else. And we, we know that you are the true source. Lord, we commit our lives to you. We want to live for and honor everything that you are. By being a people that pursue, forgive, rescue, and reconcile. Lord, we thank you that you are with us. That you will never leave us. Whenever we take a wrong turn, we know that you run to us whenever we motion towards you. That you embrace us and you put a kiss on our cheek. That is how much you love us. We thank you, Lord. Amen. So, Father, we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would calm the angst in our souls that we might feel and replace it with grace so that we may be empowered to be servants to our world, carriers of your message of peace to those around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's worship God.